Okay, we're back again at Abundant Hope Christian Center on Paramount Boulevard in Downey, California in the United States. We thank you for listening, and this is an episode uh, about Jesus on hum regarding humility. We're going to be just in one chapter, Luke 14. So if you got your Bibles, go to Luke 14. We're going to take it a paragraph at a time. If you got a Bible like mine, which is the New King James Version, the New King James Version and the Study Bible Editions will always show you the paragraphs. And while the numbers aren't inspired, most definitely the, uh, the paragraphs are inspired. So we're going to take it one paragraph at a time and see what Jesus says about humility. In this chapter, and this Bible class is called Healing for Church Orphans, and church orphans are those who don't have a spiritual father in the church. Now, we do have a spiritual father in heaven, so we are not spiritual orphans in heaven or even here on earth, but in the church we can be. And the whole idea is what Paul was telling the church in Corinth. You got plenty of teachers, he told them, what you need is fathers. And what does a father do? He blesses his children. He speaks blessings over them, has their back, supports them, and loves them through the word of God. Anyway, let's go and to look at Luke 14. We will take the first six verses, the first paragraph. Now it happened as he, meaning Jesus, went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath that they watched him closely. The they, as we're going to find out, are the lawyers and the Pharisees. They're watching him closely, no doubt to find out if he's going to mess up and trip up and, and start a whole new scandal. Verse 2, and behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. And for those of you who don't know what dropsy is, today we call it edema. We also call it congestive heart failure. And I know that a member of this class who lives in Kansas Sean Craven, he has congestive heart failure. And congestive heart failure is where there's fluid buildup in the body. In parts of the body, whether you've been lying down or you've been walking around, the fluid will build up and it puts pressure on the heart. So Jesus walks into the ruler of the Pharisees, his house, and it says in verse 2, and behold... Notice the beholds in the Bible in the New Testament. There was a certain man before him. He wasn't hiding in the corner. This sick man was before him who had CHF, congestive heart failure. Verse 3, and Jesus answering. Stop right there. Jesus is answering what or who? He's answering the congestive heart failure. Jesus, when he oftentimes would heal, it would say, and there's no one saying anything, he answered the disease. He answered the condition. Look at this again. Verse 3, and Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and the Pharisees. So he's answering them, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath. 
The other translation would say, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? I think he used the or not because it's on the Sabbath. They just came from synagogue, went to the ruler of the Pharisee's house to have bread on the Sabbath. And again, when you have bread on the Sabbath, you have a more than just bread, especially with the ruler of the Pharisees. But let's keep going here. Then verse five, but verse four, but they kept silent and he took him and healed him and let him go. Oh, he let him go. No longer with congestive heart failure. From what I understand of CHF, when you're walking around, the fluid builds up in the lower extremities, the legs and the feet. When you wake up in the morning, the fluid can build up in your face, puffiness around the eyes, and of course around the heart. So he let him go. Let him go. Just let him go. Verse 5. Then he answered them. So for he answered the dropsy, the CHF, and now he's answering them. He's not answering them twice. He, the first place in verse 3, Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and the Pharisees, but he's answering that dropsy. And in verse 5, he's answered them saying, which of you having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit? Other translations say it's not a donkey, it's a son. So let me read it the other translation. Which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a pit will not immediately... Pull him out on the Sabbath day. Well, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath day. But they had misapplied the rules of the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day is to show respect to the Father and resting from your work that day. Verse 6, and they could not answer him regarding these things. In these whole six verses, you see the lawyers and the Pharisees uh, watching him closely. Some translations will say intently. Their eyes are fixed on him, just waiting to pounce. Jesus was the one who would heal in a synagogue, and he caught heck for that. He got grief for that by healing on a woman on the Sabbath. You should read this book of Luke. It is filled with healing on the Sabbath in a synagogue. And every time he catches it, he'll tell them, we were created not for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was created for us. It was created to be a blessing and not a burden. Of course we can heal, especially now with the new covenant and the cross. Of course we can. But Jesus is talking to, what has this got to do with humility? He's talking to the proudest people in Israel. The lawyers and the Pharisees, they made their living correcting people. They made their living enforcing Sabbath rules. And it was such that even if your son or your ox fell into a pit, you leave them there. It's the Sabbath, you can't work. And Jesus basically says, this is stupid. Of course he could heal someone of congestive heart failure. 
on the Sabbath. Of course he could heal a woman of a busted back. She was that way for 17 years. A man whose hand was withered, remember? And he did that inside synagogues, right in front of them. Very intimidating. They were watching him intently. Well, they, he gave them a show. And he taught them about humility. And these people, these lawyers and Pharisees, they're church bullies. Oh, you came to church dressed like that? Oh, you came with all that makeup? You came to church in your jeans? When I first came to this church in 92, I wore jeans one time. You should have seen some of the stairs. You should have seen some of the things people said to me. Because I wore blue jeans, Levi's. We once had a lady come to this church. She was new. She was a baby Christian. And she dressed like she was going to the 21 Club in New York. Glittery. The, the, one of those glitter dresses with a slit up the side up to her hip. And she was 70 years old. But she looked good. I mean, she was showing off. Self-control, we didn't say boo. We treated her just like folks. And eventually she caught on, naturally, that she shouldn't look like she's going out to the cocktail hour at the 21 Club. Oh, but she was a gorgeous woman. I mean, Miss America type, you know what I mean? Everything At 70 years old, she was well put together. I mean, all the men just boing with, with their eyes and, and just, and she was something you couldn't even avoid. And she was a single woman. Within a few years, she was very well married to a, a retired Navy man, no less. And I could tell you stories about that relationship. They had a great marriage. They really did. They had a great marriage. Anyway, I won't give any names uh, here, but the point is, we're going to get all kinds of people in our church walking in through that front door. And who cares if they wear blue jeans? I don't think anyone is going to get harassed for wearing casual. But for dressy like that, looking like Miss America, boy, oh boy, at least half the crowd, the men, just oy vey, and the, the women just just talked and talked and talked about it. But they didn't say anything to her. The, she was treated so graciously. And I'm so proud of my church back then that she was treated so graciously. Not so proud of them that they didn't like my blue jeans. Okay, I won't wear them. I didn't. I didn't want them to stumble and fall and get upset and you know, break out into a fit. Go to the next paragraph, verse 7, where Jesus will teach us to take the lowly place. Verse 7, so he told a parable to those who were invited. That's key. Jesus was invited to the Pharisees' house. When he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, verse 8, when you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place. Lest, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. Verse 9. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. Verse 10. 
But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend. That's key. The guest is called friend. The guest who was invited is called friend. Go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. Verse 11. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled. That word means to be put down. And he who humbles himself or puts down himself will also be exalted. Well, this is dealing with a wedding feast. Jesus will talk about a wedding feast later on in Luke as he does later on in Matthew. This is the wedding supper of the Lord. When we get to heaven, we will sit down with the Lord and he has a place for each and every one of us. But this is dealing with manners. Remember when you were taken to a wedding as a child, if you ever went to a wedding as a child, your mother usually made sure you behaved, that you were well-dressed, that you were well-turned out, you were well-scrubbed, and your shoes shined and all this stuff. And you, for ladies, girls, you had to wear gloves probably for the first time. It's little things like that. It's an attitude, a humble attitude. It's not so much where you sit, it's where you sit in your heart. Because when I sit, when I choose to sit near the host, I got my back turned to the rest, don't I? But when I'm sitting in the back, I got everybody in front of me. And the host wants me, then comes to me and wants me to draw near so he could be part of the conversation in the room. That is humility. And it applies to so many things in a church in your life and demanding your rights. We are to see the needs of others as we learned last week in Philippians. We are to see their needs first, no matter who they are. But this is an attitude and this dealt with, in those days, sitting at a wedding, and you're a member of the Pharisees, it is a pecking order. A pecking order where I've been a Pharisee longer than you, I've been a lawyer longer than you, I'm richer than you. So I sit near the front. We look at James, the book of James, and a poor man comes in, and the so-called pastor makes him sit on the floor just beneath the pastor's seat, uh, uh, pulpit. No, you treat everyone the same. You don't, you don't shove them to the back of the room. This room we're sitting in was used for Thanksgiving when Glenn Coons was the pastor here. And we'd have this stove here and the two stoves over there and we'd fit about 80 to 100 people. I kid you not. How we did it, we, we, we had these tables in a, in a horseshoe. So you, there was people sitting on both sides. And we moved the, the chalkboard out. We moved everything out. 
and shoved everything in here because it was warmer in here than sit in the fellowship hall. And in those days, it was a basketball court. So we had to have it here. And this place was loaded and we brought in people. And they sat among us. Glenn Coons was very careful about that. Sit among us. You know, there'd be two people here, two people there, and there'd be open spots. That's where they sat, right amongst us. And they would come in and sit with us and have Thanksgiving. We would always have Thanksgiving dinner, not on Thanksgiving Day, but the Thursday before, one week before. So we were able to get tired of turkey a week ahead of time. Oh, my mother didn't like that. When I came in for Thanksgiving the following week, oh, you had Thanksgiving, you've had turkey, you don't want any more? Oh, boy. Okay. But it was a special time. And it tested all of us. Because some of our members, oh, they came from the old German school of Mennonites. And they every time they came to church, any time they had an event here, it was black suit, tie, and a white shirt, and the formal dress, not flashy, but old-fashioned formal dress and shoes. They looked like they came from um, Buffums. Remember Buffums here in the early, in the 60s and the 70s? It was at a little old lady store, rich little old lady store, okay? That's what it was. And, and the, you could just see the attitude where you sat and what you wore, but we mixed it up. He mixed it up. Glenn mixed it up. And everybody sat with everybody. By then I had learned not to wear blue jeans to any event here. None of us so ever. But that was just respect. You know what that was? Respecting my elders. One third of this church was above 70 when I came here in 1992. And they were my grandparents' age and my parents' age. And I wouldn't disrespect them for anything. I loved being around old people. I did. I really did. Now I'm the old people here. I'm the old people, 64. But that's what we're talking about here. How you are just looking at one another. You can't, if I had a haughty attitude, you wouldn't know until we had a dinner here and I chose to sit at the pastor's table, things like that. No, no, no. There is no pastor's table. We mix it up. We sit around. So that's where we are here in attitude. Jesus will continue that. We'll get to it. We're going to have communion right now. Those of you around the world want to take communion. We want to take communion together. And really, this is where the word of God comes in. The word and the spirit. To mold us. To renew our minds. Which is why I say... When you get into the word, folks, read it out loud. Read the word of God out loud. It'll mold you. It'll humble you. We are to take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow him. That means I, I'm not number one. I am not number one. The best teachers, the best pastors are servants in heart, mind, and soul. You're looking for a husband or a wife? A servant. She or he will serve you and you will serve him or her. A give-give relationship.
that you give to each other. Let's take the bread. By your stripes we are healed. Heal us, Lord. We cast our diseases and our ailments to you. And that by your stripes that you took before the cross. All our diseases we are healed from right now. We give you praise, Lord, as we partake in Jesus' name. Now let's take the cup. Forgive us, Lord, by your blood that this cup represents. Remove our sins and the consequences of our sins. Cleanse us. Restore us to righteousness. As you breathe new life into us through your Holy Spirit, fill us again with your Holy Spirit in times of refreshing. We plead the blood of Jesus for protection wherever we go, wherever we work, wherever we go to school, wherever we worship. We ask for the blood of protection as we partake in Jesus' name. Amen. And before we go, let us receive the blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And the name of the Lord is upon us. And we are blessed by you to be a blessing to others and to bless your name. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Go with God. Thanks for attending and thanks for listening. It's a beautiful spring day where we are here in Southern California, almost into summer. <laughs>